Hi, this is Mike McNamara, and you're listening to All Marine Radio on your home for it, the one and only All Warrior Radio Network. today and then I fly home late tonight and uh, get back tomorrow mid-morning and uh, so there you have it um, today you're going to hear Grant Newsham we're going to do a little bit of an update around the Pacific talk about a couple things Grant has written one about defending Taiwan uh, we'll talk about an article Fran- Franz Geil wrote kind of just in passing. I asked him about it, but Grant had pretty strong opinion about it. Yeah. And uh, so you, Grant has very choice words for what Franz Geil wrote. And uh, Grant has been, you know, rolling around the Pacific for a long time. And you don't hear him wor- use strong words like that very often. But uh, he doesn't uh, mince any words uh, when he's talking about it. So um, I will get out of the way. I hope you're having a, a good week so far. And uh, without further ado, this is uh, the one and only Grant Newsham here on a Tuesday edition of All Marine Radio right here on the All Warrior Radio Network. <laughs> Hi, this is Mike McNamara, and you're listening to All Marine Radio on your home for it, the one and only All Warrior Radio Network. Anybody knows who listens to the program, why this is Grant Newsham's theme song. I use it to intimidate him. Because when we sing karaoke one day... And he goes limping out of the go-go bar, then he'll fucking know. So joining me from the Pacific Rim is uh, is Grant Newsom, and we will be Pacific Rim partners again next week when I go to Hawaii. Uh, is that exciting, Grant? 
It is, yeah, sort of being in the uh, the same hemisphere. Yeah, how, um, how about that? Yeah, that'd be pretty good. That's how you got invited back. Yeah, um, how about that? That means I behave myself. That is, you know, I don't even get invited to the first time by the Japanese government or the American government. So I'm impressed. But the, uh, now, Grant, you, uh, I, somebody sent me a picture of you and a friend of mine. He's, he's slamming down a shot of alcohol. Now, I won't, I won't say his name to protect the innocent, but he listens. Uh, do you remember much from that night? Um, did he wind up wearing the lampshade on his head? Was it was it was he doing that to promote international relations? Because you were out with uh, was it Japanese self defense force? Who were you out with? No, it was the Taiwan Marines. Oh, and um, yeah, I you know was surprised to see the picture. It's an old one, of course, but it, it is what it looks like. And um, yeah, those guys were all three sheets in the wind. Um, and were you sober? Because you, know, you look like the sober one of the group. You're like a little bit looking at him like, okay, this is marginally inappropriate. No, 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 no. It's more like better them than me. It's more <laughs> the, it's my usual <laughs> usual MO. I thought somebody else is going to get in trouble. But the, uh, no, it was, uh, we were there doing some uh, work with the Taiwan Marines. And, and um, you know, as part of all of that, the dinner and is always – you know, part of the deal and lunch and breakfast, you know, and, you know, as part of it, these guys do, you know, they, they drink like, uh, like Irishmen and then some, but, uh, you know, it's really is something. So the other guys with me, they, um, did the yeoman's work and, uh, yeah, I remember very well. That was a good, uh, it was a good visit. Yeah. Like a lot of things, if we had, um, sort of kept up the momentum, we wouldn't have so many, you know, Taiwan would be in a better position now. Uh, but such is life. But we had some very, very good people with us. Uh, so that's that's what you saw. I didn't know there was photographic evidence of it. But yeah, looking at normally, it closely, yeah, normally you know, we don't allow that, especially we're on liberal yeah. and foreign countries. Everybody puts your camera away, okay? It's not what we do. Yeah, but looking at it, you know, I don't think it precludes me from being president someday. No, not you. My colleagues, perhaps. Yeah, your colleagues, perhaps. Do you remember if our mutual acquaintance got hammered that night? Oh, oh, he, I think, blitzed three sheets in the wind, uh, toasted, um, (laughs) any one of those. All of the above? No, I don't. I suspect all. Yeah, I suspect, but um, it probably wouldn't be the first time or the first guy in taiwan to get blitzed but uh but yeah it was and the taiwan marines really are uh, just great guys really and so it was it was all for a good cause yeah mm-hmm. now would you uh what would you recall what you were drinking that night or what was being drunk well i do actually sort of you know it wouldn't be hard to guess because what i remember is that they have a they had it was like beer in cans and it was called taiwan beer you know, it'd be like having United States beer. Uh, and it was a nice, you know, I like uh, graphic design. So it was a nice bright green sort of logo thing, but Taiwan beer. And then there's this other stuff, which is um, distilled. And, you know, I think my West Virginia hillbilly um, relatives would probably uh, recognize the stuff, but consider it um, sort of too strong. So they, uh, I think galleon is the, the word or the, how we would say it. 
but the uh, and so it was probably this combination of stuff. And it's you know it is it um, is not for the faint-hearted. I think oh, it's not evening like that because yeah. the picture has my friend. And so if you were sitting at a bar and you were to take a take a shot and you would take it and you would you know you would drink it. Okay, my friends, um, he's making a big production out of this, right? He's got his head tilted towards the ceiling, and he's doing that. Um, it's a pretty big moment in the picture. Um, so was he, like, overplaying to that? Was uh, Did the Taiwan Marines, did they think that was good? Oh, look at this big American being a total clown. What, do you remember what happened? Oh yeah, yeah. This isn't like a uh, like a wine and cheese at the you know the Yale English department. You know, you're supposed to um, put some effort into it. And I think if you do put your throat back, I think it all you know the gasoline goes down easier. I think <laughs> right. is the idea. Let's talk about some things you've uh, let's talk about things you've written about. <laughs> um, headline: The French in parentheses, troops are coming, and it's good. It's a good thing for Japan's defense forces by Grant Newsham. Um, what's going on? Uh, interesting stuff going on in the Pacific. Uh, the French um, naval forces um, are headed uh, to the Pacific. Uh, the uh, the great, uh, great Britain, they're sending their largest uh, naval armada since what the Falklands that they put together is headed towards uh, the Western Pacific. So some interesting stuff going on. What's going on relative to France and Japan? Well, yeah, it's very interesting actually, and it is sort of it is historical because what's going on is um, uh, as we speak, um, them Frenchies are down in southern Japan in uh, Kyushu. Uh, when I say them Frenchies. Uh, I, I mean, the, the French army and the French Navy have gone all the way to Japan uh, from France. And they have uh, sent their sort of the French uh, infantry ashore to do joint training uh, with the Americans and with the Japanese army. And there's some Australians there as well. Uh, and there's um, going to be an amphibious exercise of sorts and they're doing some uh, training down at the where the Japanese so-called marines the amphibious rapid deployment brigade are located in southern Japan near Sasebo and so there you've got the French doing training in Japan like on on land and this is the first time ever and it's so that's really quite something, you know, just the the fact they're doing it. And you'll no, notice that the Japanese aren't complaining. You know, it's not as if anybody in Japan is saying, why are these foreigners here, you know, doing military things? Uh, it's really just sort of a shrug. And, yeah, of course, the, you know, what's the big deal? Uh, and it shows how Japan has changed, you know, because this or, or at least the perception of too many so-called experts has changed about Japan. Uh, so this is a uh, sort of epoch making. It does, of course, depend on what we make of it. So explain the um, explain the change. So is it, is the change? Does it revolve around uh, we have a menacing 
you know, superpower relatively close to us. And so we could use friends now. So, so, you know, what we would have stuck our nose up at and said, why are we doing this years ago? We no longer say that because we have a, if not existential threat, we have a, uh, certainly, I don't know, semi existential threat looming on the horizon is, is, is the difference China. I think that's it. Um, it's sort of built up over the last decade or so. And it's really the Japanese public are the ones who've really caught on to this. So there are about 90% of a mind that China is up to no good. And even Japanese, the political class, the official class, has sort of been forced to come along and admit that China doesn't have any good intentions for Japan. So it's really just a very much... Um, as I said, just a shrug of a soldiers that, yeah, this is a natural thing. The French are coming to train. And it's worth noting that three years ago, I think it was, the British Marines came on, a, on Britain's one amphibious ship. They came up to Japan and they were going to do a small amphibious landing near Tokyo. Uh, it got uh, weathered out by high seas, but they did all the preparatory work. And once again, nobody complained about it. You know, you knew at the time that, uh, you know, this was something very good to see. But also that really does tell you what you need to know about Japan when it comes to defense, uh, that for a while now they've been willing to do all sorts of things. Um, but it takes somebody else to take the initiative uh, to make things happen. And but when you do, it's there's all sorts of things that are doable that were thought five years ago to be impossible. And the British coming, the French coming are uh, those things. And it's also worth noting uh, with the French uh, and the British uh, that by coming to Japan and doing this training, and it's not all that far from where the the Japanese and the Chinese are facing off, uh, that the French are taking sides and implicitly saying, we support Japan. Uh, We support the Americans as well against China. And that is a big deal to have them uh, do that. So there's a political significance uh, to all of this and a psychological one uh, as well. It's worth remembering, of course, that that the French do have uh, territories down in the South Pacific and have huge exclusive economic zones in the ocean. Uh, So the the French are kind of an Asian power uh, and they do have infantry down there. They've got some Navy ships and some aircraft. So there are French forces uh, in the region. But the ones I think that have gone to uh, Japan, I believe those came out from uh, from France. So it is. this is sort of a shift. And now the, the test is, what do we make of it? And, you know, what I would suggest is that, you know, this could have been done uh, years ago, you know, if someone had made the effort. And then what, what I've recommended in some of the things I've written uh, recently is to, you know, once again, you know, make the defense of Japan's southern islands to make it a joint defense, combined defense between the Americans and the Japanese and actually genuinely work together because they don't uh, very much at all uh, right now. And then bring in the, um, you know, bring in the Australians uh, to it, you know, and also set up a British Royal Marine uh, liaison team or training team in Japan uh, to help the the Japanese develop their amphibious capability. 
because uh, there's some things the British do that are more suited to what the Japanese need uh, than what the U.S. Marines have to offer. Um, so those are some of the ideas and also put together a multinational view uh, that could you know, duplicate or sort of help out the 31st view. And you make it part Japanese, American, Australian, uh, and you might get some others to join in uh, on occasion. Uh, so those are some ideas. But uh, the thing is that you will be told, well, all of these are impossible. And yet I think the fact that the French are now in Japan and the British were there before them shows you that it's not impossible. But it was, what it does require is to actually do something. And it usually requires the Americans to take the lead. And I was exchanged an email with uh, um, a senior Marine, former Marine officer, uh, just, just the other day. And he commented on the, uh, just really the how powerful the status quo is. And, you know, this it's almost a sort of an inertia that keeps the Americans from trying anything new. And, you know, he really was right about that. And, you know, if you think about it, you know, there's always... There's always an IG inspection coming. You know, there's a change of command ceremony coming. You know, there's a Cobra Gold exercise or what have you. There's all sorts of excuses not to do these things that we need to do to be able to uh, fend off the, the Chinese. So it really is just a question of doing something. You know, it, um, just turn it over to the captains and the majors and you'll get get some good results. But uh, leave it up to the the top dogs, and the status quo is always there to keep things from moving. So, so there, there's my rant on on all of this. So this um, this exercise is called uh, Art Twenty One. Is that what I something saw? Something like mm-hmm. something yeah, like something that. like that. Yeah. And it's and it's going it's going on now. Um, mm-hmm. I want to read you another headline from the Wall Street Journal uh, because you're talking about you know a French presence, which is a big deal, right? And just the fact that the French have thrown in symbolically with, with, with allies and the statement um, to the world that we are here and we're interested and we're aligning ourselves with the, the Western powers here in the Western Pacific. That, that's not That statement, you and I have been talking about this for a few years now, I mean, this whole thing has to be done by the free nations of the world, and, and that's where you'll have strength. The headline of the Wall Street Journal from uh, yesterday, I think. Um, hold on. Uh, May 13th. That would be today. Uh, UK's biggest naval fleet in decades to flex, flex muscles with eye on China and the U.S. Fresh from Brexit, Britain bulks up military to strengthen special relations with the United States. And uh, the British Royal Navy's new aircraft carrier, the HMS Queen Elizabeth, will lead a group of eight ships on a tour of 40 countries in its first overseas deployment. So uh, this is not a small deal. Um, and so the uh, the United Kingdom headed for uh, the Western, the Indo-PACOM area. Um, uh, this just simply reinforces uh, your previous comments? Yeah, you know, and it is the, they say it's the, you know, the symbolic isn't quite the right word because there's more to it than that. Uh, it does suggest, once again, the British are taking sides. And the, these eight ships or whatever it is they're sending is probably about a third of their entire navy, uh, which, you know, polite, you can't politely say that. But they have allowed their 
military to decline to the point it's alarming. Uh, and it's embarrassing too, but they are nonetheless making the effort. Uh, there's going to be a Marine F-35 squadron on the British aircraft carriers, I understand it. Yep. And it's already left, it's underway. Right. Um, but but the fact they're they're doing it, you know, that, you know, is important. And also, you know, Britain's military isn't, you know, the one that knocked the Germans from one end of Europe to the other uh, these days. But it, it you can uh, apply influence in other areas, economically, politically, etc. Britain is an important country and having them on board uh, is useful. And other countries see it as well. And that gives them some uh, incentive or courage to also get on the right side. Uh, so this is something, you know, that you shouldn't, we shouldn't underestimate. There's the sort of the instinctive tendency is to do what I just said, well, there's only 20 ships or whatever it is in the entire Navy, if that many. Um, but that's not, that isn't the whole point. You know, the, the fact is that if you look back a few years and compare this to Britain absolutely falling over itself to appease and to really brown nose the Chinese, um, this is a big change. You, know, you remember that Xi Jinping, the head of China, um, he got there to ride in you know, Queen Elizabeth's coach. And he also, I think, sort of um, sort of forced his way into sleeping overnight at Buckingham Palace or something like that, which is shows how uh, really craven I think Britain's ruling class was at the time. And hopefully this does indicate a, a sort of a more fundamental shift in Britain, Britain's attitudes uh, towards dealing with a country like China. Uh, so hopefully it continues. Well, it certainly so, is. It certainly is a, a long way from, you know, the shock we, 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 I think, all felt when, you know, the United Kingdom did an about face on the Huawei deal. Right. And, and, and that seemed to signal, right, um, really a, a, a shift. Uh, let me just read you a couple quotes. Britain, now out of the European Union, recently announced an overhaul of its military, pledging the biggest increase in military spending since the Cold War. The United Kingdom is shrinking its army and cutting its tank forces to spend more on creating a nimbler, better equipped military with more special forces and drones. Quote, we are all of us light years away from a superpower in scale, so don't have the option of being able to cover all the bases all the time, UK Defense Secretary Ben Wallace said. Britain no longer needs a hulking army that can fight a traditional land war, he said. Instead, it needs a smaller but better equipped military force that is deployed abroad, helping allies and deterring enemies in contested parts of the globe. Interesting comments. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And letting, of course, leaving the really hard work up to the Yankees. Uh, yeah, when, when I <laughs> but you know what? Kind of state, you know, yeah. Grant, don't you think, though, that, look, if you'll just do what you can do, and not the minimum, but if you'll just be average, if the Brits would be average, if the French would be average, if the Japanese would be average, if the Koreans will be average, the Australians will be average, and you can plug into the United States, guess what? That is stability in the international community, period, because nobody can take that on. Well, it's better than the alternative. Yes, but which, you know, which, the, which we've been you know, deal, which we've been dealing with, yay? Uh, yeah, well, kind of, but the I would, yeah, but I would say that the British can do an awful lot more. 
and when I hear, you know, these guys talk, you know, the, like you just quoted, you know, these people, it reminds me of those sort of new age management cliches, you know, doing less with more, uh, et cetera, virtual this and virtual that. Um, you know, I'm not impressed. You know, they, you know, sometimes you've got to have a you know, pretty good ground capability because um, you never quite know when you're going to need it. And, you know, I think the if you're trying to get by and sort of this, these economy measures and do the, really do, do the least possible um, in claiming that, well, we make up for it in capability or in earnestness or whatever. Uh, it's not the same, you know, to my way of thinking. But if, in Britain's case, if you look at how they have allowed their military to decline over the last 20 years, it, it is alarming. And I think it, it is disgraceful. Uh, and I think they've let it go just much, much too far. So now when they talk about building it up, it's actually building it up from a, a much too low base. Right. So they, you know, it looks good and it sounds good. But when you look at what they're capable of and really what we need them to do, uh, it's not enough. Although compared to what the Germans are doing, and there's absolutely nothing to complain about. Well, again, uh, I, I choose part, to look on the optimistic side, Grant, uh -huh. and I well, choose to, to, mm -hmm. to look and see that they have reversed a trend that's been ongoing for a while. And I think that's yeah. I think that's really important. And, and I would mm -hmm. I would back that up with as opposed to your negative attitude. I would back it up with, you know, their presence, both the French and the British in the Western Pacific. And hopefully that will embolden allies you know, uh, you know, Australia taking it on the chin. New Zealand, that, who we're going to talk about here momentarily, you know, has stood up and said, you know what? There's things that we can cooperate with the Chinese on. And ultimately, there are things that, that we cannot, which was in public saying this, which was a little bit interesting. So I think it and, and so maybe this is just the first steps. And, and as allies embolden each other and they see, you know, um, that the Chinese are going to have to deal with this all of a sudden. And, and you said this on this program before the most dangerous course of action for the free nations of the world vis-a-vis -vis China is concerted action. And you're seeing, um, not this beyond initial phases of this, you're seeing actual troop movements and, and military assets put in place that's beyond initial steps, so um, I'm being I'm being positive here. I think it's um, you're seeing good stuff, yay. Uh, yeah, you know it is. You know I'm um, not going to argue. Yeah, no, yeah, there's no point. It's um, but it it is a good it's a good positive step if we keep it up. Right. If you know that's the thing, uh, but if it's considered that this is you know sort of check the box or this is showing them and then we can go back to usual to normal. Right. Uh, that'll be dangerous. But, you know, I, as for Britain, you know, having cut too much, that's true. Uh, but they compared to some others, they're still helpful. Um, the, but the, the, the Germans, you know, my father used to say, you know, you don't have to be great. Just be better than the person stand, you're standing next to. So be very careful who you stand next to. And so as long as the Germans are standing, as long as the, the Brits are standing next to the Germans, you're okay. Well, these days, that's for sure. But, right. And, you know, and once again, it's, you have to look beyond just the military contribution or capability. 
that the when a country like Britain and them them Frenchies, you know, when the French as well, if they you know say all reject Huawei or these Chinese telecom firms or they apply sanctions uh, on China over what they're doing to slaughter the the Muslim population uh, and you know the small matter of harvesting organs from people. Uh, if when they stand up in those way, in those uh, areas, that's actually very important. And so it's always good to look at the you know what countries are doing beyond just the military. Uh, and it, it, it the China, you look at it from China's perspective, and, and they just hate to be to be sanctioned, hate to be embarrassed. And you know, for the French, the British, you know, and other countries, these are st- and even Canada's well, sort of coming around, um, that even, you know, when they all get together and actually point out that the Chinese are behaving, uh, you know, they're like worse than the Mongols did in the 12th century, uh, that they don't like it. And it really does have an effect. So, you know, the the military contribution and things they're doing are a matter, you know, they're a reflection, you know, I hope of a a broader, uh, more fundamental change. Uh, that we're seeing, but seeing them go ashore in Japan, uh, it's really good. You know, if you, you know, if you've spent as much time involved in Japan as I have, that, you know, you'd hear from the Japanese side a lot, oh, this is too hard, et cetera, et cetera. Come up with any excuse not to do things. And you could hear the Americans coming up with uh, just as many excuses for the Japanese as to why everything was too hard. And now all these things are happening that, well, it turns out they weren't too hard. Um, I, th- I think the Marines actually are, are benefiting from having some, uh, a couple of very good people on Okinawa now who understand what needs done, what the importance of all this is, and the importance of uh, keeping the momentum going. So, you know, we've sometimes benefited from having a few of the right people in the, the right places. Um, and say, I hope we can keep it, keep it going. All right. Let me ask you um, the story is from May 3rd. New Zealand's Prime Minister Ardern says differences with China becoming harder to reconcile. Um, Let me, in a speech at a China business summit in Auckland, which is in New Zealand, for those of you who don't know, um, she said this, quote, it will not have escaped the attention of anyone here that as China's role in the world grows and changes, the differences between our systems and the interests and the values that shape those systems are becoming harder to reconcile. This is a challenge that we and many other countries across the Indo-Pacific region, but also in Europe and other regions, are grappling with. And and so it's interesting because she said, you know, there some of these things are simply – we're not going to be able to resolve because we simply don't share the same values. Uh, your thoughts on that, Grant? Australia has been out there taking it on the chin uh, in for their, you know, uh, pushback on things Chinese. New Zealand now seems to double down on or like they they want a piece of this. Um, uh, your thoughts on that? Did this ripple through the Western Pacific? Did, was it was it surprising? Give me your thoughts on it. <laughs> I think if um, New Zealand is just now grappling with it, I think they were hiding in the bathroom for the last 10 years or so. Uh, New Zealand's a, an odd, odd country, and they are not the Australians, um, although we sometimes mistake them for that. 
which nobody appreciates on either side. Uh, but they've been, how would you put it, um, accommodating, appeasing the Chinese for a good long while now uh, to the point that they've had uh, what effectively are ch uh, Chinese agents in the New Zealand parliament in important committees involving foreign affairs and defense. So there's one well-known case of a, uh, of a parliamentarian who was, he's probably a Chinese spy. Uh, he, you know, he claims he was just teaching English at the Chinese spy school for a while before he moved to New Zealand. And he, of course, didn't mention this to anybody. Uh, but that's just one manifest, one example of the extent to which China has gotten its influence into New Zealand in the, the political world. Uh, the the economy is, you know, just based on selling uh, natural resources so, and selling like sheep to uh, to China. You know, it's just absolutely dependent on the Chinese market. So um, New Zealand has thought that well, they could get away with this because they're New Zealand. They're way in the middle of nowhere and everyone likes the New Zealanders. Uh, and this is nothing new. Actually, you remember in the 80s when they uh, basically forced the Americans to, uh, to stop uh, sending ships and, and to having any military dealings with New Zealand by their stance on nuclear weapons. And it was a sort of a slice of New Zealand, uh, the political class, uh, that wanted to teach the Americans a lesson that was sort of morally preening uh, over their anti-nuclear stance, et cetera, et cetera. Right. So they, they're not they're not not Australia. You know, if you go through a window, you can be pretty sure an Australian's going to be behind you. Uh, with New Zealand, if it's the military, you can be sure. But if it's the rest of New Zealand, you might have your doubts. Uh, and so when the prime minister of New Zealand is now saying this, you know, if you know some of the background, you're still uh, keeping your fingers crossed at best or waiting to see see what's next. Um, and they did actually um, just recently, I forget which official it was from New Zealand, uh, said something to the effect, well, the reason why the, you know, look at the problems Australia is having with China, and it's just because they don't know how to deal with the Chinese. And we'll tell them, you know, we'll let, and if they want to know, we'll tell them which is pretty much in ask the Chinese what they want and give them everything they ask for and then figure out some things they haven't even asked for and give them those as well. Uh, so what the New Zealanders said was not well taken in Australia. Uh, there, there's, of course, a range of opinions in, in New Zealand, uh, but it, it has allowed itself to get pretty deeply in hock to the uh, both economically, psychologically to uh, the Chinese. And they've kind of realized that, I think, that, well, one, the Chinese aren't going to necessarily treat them any better than they are anyone else. Uh, and also there's serious talk about, you know, maybe New Zealand doesn't belong in the so-called Five Eyes uh, Intelligence Sharing Network. Wow. Uh, and that, you know, talk's been around for a few years now. And I, it's more than just um, talk. And I think New Zealand has kind of realized that, now, maybe they've um, pushed this too far. And so you'll also note that the prime minister's statement, sort of chiding China, sort of, sort of um, it was made separate from a statement made by the other four members of the Five Eyes Network. 
Uh, so the everyone but New Zealand had laid, you know, laid into China for their behavior. New Zealand didn't join in that. Uh, and this was just within the last month or two. So some might say it's, uh, it's kind of late to get started. Uh, but then again, if they keep at it, then you know, maybe it is a move in the right direction. Uh, but with New Zealand, though, after watching them since the 80s, what is that now, 35 years, um, you'd probably want to see a little more uh, sort of evidence that they have reformed and are going to try to stand up for the civilized world. Um, so that would be my sense. But nonetheless, it's, you know, at least she didn't sell out, you know, didn't sell the country to, uh, to China. But to give you a sense of just how bad New Zealand has allowed its military to, um, uh, to decline is that if uh, the Chinese were to land, say, a mechanized brigade, take one on each island of New Zealand, I don't think New Zealand could stop them. Uh, that's how bad it's gotten. Uh, and, you know, hopefully they've woken up, but, but we'll see. All right. Let me switch gears again. Uh, you wrote a piece um, in your capacity as a uh, what senior fellow at the Center for, for uh, Security Policy. Um, mm -hmm. Is that your official title? Uh, yeah, it, that, the, the fellow title is one that it's, um, uh, it, it, everybody uses it. And it's, yeah, yeah, it, um, I wouldn't put too much stock in well, it. Well, I don't want to like, not call yeah. you the right thing and offend but you. you called me the right I thing. I know it's just the, um, a, Virginia, you know, a landed Virginian and don't take yeah, that so, stuff so I've lightly. Never, my self-image is not of a, a fellow but rather, um, you know, a tough guy. Okay. But, uh, <laughs> when I hear the word fellow, I always bristle. But, um, or, or, or have a temptation to put um, patches onto my tweed coat. Yeah, but they, don't do that. Uh, but, that's, uh, yeah. but no, I am a, a, a fellow with the uh, Center for Security Policy, which is a good outfit. So. The, um, the article's entitled Taiwan or Donbass, Subversion an insurrection versus full-scale invasion. Could you say, it says Taiwan as Donbass, um, question mark. Could you explain that to everybody who may not be savvy uh, to Donbass? Yeah, you know, there's no reason why anyone would be savvy to it. But the um, uh, what it refers to is a region of very eastern Ukraine, which is next door to Russia. And if you think back a few years, uh, you'll remember the Russians actually took a place called Crimea, which is where the Charge of the Light Brigade charged um, back in the Crimean War. But they took it from Ukraine. It was like, it'd be like taking, um, oh, I don't know, like the lower half of Nevada from Nevada and putting it into California. Uh, and But they, the Russians took it and the world did nothing other than impose some sanctions, which didn't scare anybody. And Russia figured out, well, that worked pretty well. Let's go get some more of Ukraine. So they went and took over a little bit of eastern Ukraine. And the way they did it was they got um, local people to, you know, on the payroll and to do some protesting, uh, you know, about how they were being mistreated by the Ukrainians uh, and they didn't like it. And then these guys with military kind of guys with weapons all showed up in unmarked uniforms and speaking Russian, of course. And they show up 
And the Russians say, well, this is just local militias who hate the central government in Ukraine so much that they're fighting back. And then the right. you had and then you had eventually some Russian and, and, and actually, what, what was it? Coming. It was like there were there to defend the the Russian Ukrainians against the aggression of the Ukrainian military, right? That was the, the, that's yeah, that's, basically that's, it. yeah. That's the party line that gets trotted out there. And Putin yeah. just said it again recently, right? He said, "Oh yeah, I mm-hmm. will not stand for this." <laughs> right. I take him seriously. So would I. <laughs> But, um, but yeah, so they basically, they took, you know, it's like the, the easternmost part of Ukraine, which, you know, has kind of preferred being part of Russia, actually. A lot of it did. Um, but there's some reasons for that, economic ones in particular. But also ethnically, uh, there's a huge, huge percentage of people who, are, who speak Russian there. But so the Russians took that. This is Putin took it. And his idea was to keep going all the way to Kiev, to the capital of Ukraine, but to everybody's great surprise, the Ukrainians, who were incredibly disorganized at the time, yeah, they sort of stiffened the defense and the Russians can't get any farther. But they still have eastern Ukraine. So they took it really by subversion, by the calibrated use of covert force and then some overt force and tried to create a sort of a physical reality that you know, nobody, you know, nobody could do anything about. And that's what I suggest that the I consider whether China might try to do something like that with Taiwan. And now, are those called gray zone operations? Is that a word? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. This falls into to gray zone operations. You know, which you, you, you have a. You, it's not quite clear who's doing it. Well, it is clear, but right. uh, you can convince yourself that nothing that. You can convince yourself there's nothing you can do okay. uh, if your your mindset is to avoid a avoid a shoot up. Um, but that that this would be a gray zone operation. So I'm asking if you know could China somehow do something to Taiwan as Mr. Putin did in uh, the Donbas in eastern Ukraine, just take sort of occupy it and keep it, and without either. Taiwan or the rest of the world being able to do anything about it. And that's what my uh, paper is about, you know, to ask that question. So and what do you conclude? I think it would be kind of hard for them to do it in the same way, because right. Putin did this over a matter of, of months, actually, to uh, subvert the place and get it under military control. Right. Um, and he also benefited from having a border, you know, being having a land border. Right. So it's easy to keep things supplied, coordinated, to move forces back and forth uh, and to keep it hidden. But in Taiwan's case, that you've got to get across almost 100 miles of ocean, by and large, to get to the main Taiwan island. And the other part of this is that um, that there's no part of Taiwan that really wants to, at least the, the main island, that has any interest in coming under Taiwanese control. Uh excuse me, coming under Chinese control. So it isn't like the southern Taiwan or northern Taiwan or central Taiwan that there's a place where secretly they want to be you know, Chinese communists or to be ruled by them. It doesn't exist. So that doesn't give you much to work with if you're trying to subvert the country to be able to claim that you've been invited in, that you've got some reason to, to get in there. Uh, so that makes it very hard for the the Chinese to work that angle. But there are pro-Taiwanese 
or excuse me, pro-China politicians in Taiwan, you know, basically traitors who would gladly sell out the country. And they do exist. Uh, but I think the numbers aren't all that great now. And that has a lot to do with Hong Kong um, because you saw Taiwan saw what China did in Hong Kong recently and nobody wants a part of that. And it's very hard to argue against it. You know, say you are a, a Quisling, a sort of a, you know, a Taiwanese of traitorous mind. It, it's not very easy to convince anybody that what happened in Hong Kong is something that you want. Uh, so that makes it very hard for the, the Chinese to do a, a Donbass sort of um, operation. Um, the Chinese do like to do um, sort of uh, long-term uh, sort of guerrilla warfare, slip in insurgents, guerrillas, or take advantage of local people uh, who will do that sort of thing. Um, but that would be hard in Taiwan as well, partly because it's the, the interior of Taiwan is a hard place to operate. Um, just to find stuff to eat. is it, It's a difficult uh, terrain. But one of the other funny things about this is that the um, in the interior of Taiwan, there's a lot of um, indigenous tribes. These are the, the, you know, the original Taiwanese people. And the Taiwan Marines, in, in particular, they do recruit a lot from the uh, indigenous uh, tribes. And they you know, do very, very well in that terrain. And it's, I think they would actually find it kind of fun to hunt down some Chinese and chop their heads off. Um, you know, not being glib about it, but, you know. No, and you're not, tough... you're not joking about that either. No, it's right. not at all. And the Army has some good reconnaissance units as well, which do recruit from the uh, indigenous population. And so it, this would not be, I wouldn't want to try it. Um, but what you could do, and this is what I point out, is that while, say, this long-term subversion and seizing a portion of Taiwan where the, the central government, the Taiwanese government, couldn't, couldn't take them on, couldn't go recover it, uh, that I don't think that's very likely. Right. But as part of a full-scale assault, um, I think you could you know, use a fifth-column approach where you have uh, agents in place, special forces, uh, local quislings or traitors uh, right. to help you out where the Chinese could potentially um, seize, say, a port or an airfield that they could use to flow in forces. But that um, would have to be in support of a major invasion and not because the, I the, think the most dangerous course of action, um, you know, for in a lot of places around the world are these gray zone operations in which you just do what the Russians did. Yeah, they don't belong to us. Don't know mm -hmm. what you're talking about. There yeah, must the, the, be mm -hmm. must be local forces. I we don't why they have Russian trucks. We don't know. And then slowly but surely, like a boa constrictor. I mean, doing very much what he's doing now. All of a sudden, there's Russian units, divisions massing on the border. Oh, it's just an exercise. Oh, yeah, they're going to stay there. Oh, we're going to draw them away. Well, now they're back. And you know, Vladimir Putin is is an expert at this game that he plays. And uh, and and so, but because of simply uh, the geography of the Western Pacific, um, very different for the very different for for, for the Chinese, very different. Yeah, so, it, very much, and the local population, uh, the dynamic is different as well. Uh, but as part of a sort of a full scale assault, you know, when you've rolled the dice and you're going for everything, you know, it is possible. I would expect that there will be a fifth column uh, effort to cause as much chaos. Yeah. 
as possible. And there will be, I think, assassinations and shootings and the like to uh, distract the, the Taiwanese defenders. Right. Um, but they, but the, how it would actually play out would, I think, be different than what uh, Mr. Putin has going on in, in Ukraine. So that's what I tried to think through. Okay. And, you know, once again, you're trying to you know, introduce some ideas and let people think about it and then also offer some recommendations about uh, how to go about it, uh, dealing with it. Uh, so that's what I was, was trying to do. So. But it required much more thought than I'm used to. I'm a, a pretty superficial guy. So this was a real jolt to the system to have to think through this. Well, we know how superficial you are, so you're not telling us anything we don't know. Um, I had a question for you, <coughs> except I'm coughing right now. Um, it was a question... Oh, I know what it is. Um, a few a, a few weeks ago, um, do you know Franz Geil? Oh yeah, mm-hmm. he was in my TBS class. Believe it or not. So I, you know, I know. Yeah, I'm not great friends, but I'm no him. You know, certainly. certainly know certainly know who he is. He uh, he wrote a piece recently. Um, did you read it? Yes, I did. Uh, you know what? You know one of the things that struck me about his piece. And, and and you've educated us about the history of Taiwan and, and that at no point in time <laughs> has Taiwan ever been, you know, a part of China. You know, if you look at the history of Taiwan and you go back um, and that yet, yet you read this, I don't know what you would call it, this common um, ignorance of this assumption that yes, China's Taiwan's always been a part of China, and I mean, I guess were it not for you appearing on the show, I wouldn't know it. But you know, when you see some of the things he he's written, you know, in 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 this in his most recent article, um, and what was it entitled? Grant, you know, hold on, I'll get the title. But I I just find it you know you read stuff that just as he begins to write. You know, you, you see these statements and you're like, wait a minute, that's not even historically close to being accurate. So I'd be curious about your thoughts on Franz Guile and his most recent article, which was entitled. Um, hold on, I have it right here. U.S. would lose a war with China over Taiwan, retired Marine Corps Major writes in a Chinese propaganda newspaper. So, um, yeah, if the if the U.S. elects to fight China over the island of Taiwan, then it will lose. Major Franz Geil, who's retired, stated in the April 27th article, which had the headline, Why the U.S. Will Lose a War with China Over Taiwan Island. And... Uh, Anyway, interesting. Um, your thoughts? Um, yeah, it was a not a very good piece. In fact, it was terrible. Uh, it was factually wrong. Uh, it had a lot of footnotes, so it looked impressive. Um, but it, the sub, you know, I'm more interested in the substance of it, and I think it was just completely wrong uh, about it, uh, about the history of it, but also the the, the prospects 
uh, for defending Taiwan, and, and particularly where he gets it wrong is U.S. interests in this. And there's no discussion also of the effects of allowing Taiwan to go under, you know, the, the political effects throughout Asia, the effect on U.S. Uh, guarantees of uh, protection uh, that would be felt globally. No, no talk of the economic uh, sort of effects of this as well. It's um, you know, just very poorly done. You know, it, you know, I was was disappointed uh, in it. There's um, and there's a couple things here. Is that one of you know you can have it's okay to be contrarian and to have different uh, positions because that you know sometimes helpful. But uh, the article which you mentioned appeared in a, an outlet called Global Times, and this is a part of uh, it, it's a part of the Chinese government's media uh, effort, and it's the English language. Um, sort of outlet that they use for the most hateful, just vicious uh, sort of um, ideas, language, um, approach towards China's enemies, which is us and everyone else who irritates them. But you read this and it is just, it's horrific. You know, this is nothing but a propaganda mouthpiece of the worst sort. And this is the worst one. And here you have a former Marine officer who's writing what amounts to Chinese uh, propaganda, it just you know, presents the Chinese view of things and what China would like America to do in this outlet. And in Cold War terms, this would be like a Marine putting in a, uh, say, an article in Pravda or Zvestia in the old uh, Soviet Union days and saying America can't and should not defend Western Europe. You know, there's no there's no good way to put this. Um, and this is keep in mind, this is a regime that harvests organs from live prisoners. Uh, and here, you know, so I so there's nothing I could ever I could say to justify this. I would note that this article is actually based on one that appeared earlier in Marine Corps Gazette a few uh, weeks ago, a few months ago. And I remember seeing that at the time and just you know, dismissing it. And, but I do wonder why the Marine Corps Gazette didn't offer a counter, some would say, get somebody to write a counterpoint to this. Because uh, Marines aren't going to know any better, most of them. Uh, and they're going to think, wow, this guy's a former Marine officer and he's got a lot of footnotes and it sounds like he knows what he's talking about. Um, but it's, uh, I would suggest it is wrong in every respect. And, you know, the, it is, um, just I can't for the laugh of me. I can't understand why a marine officer would do something like this uh, in in this periodical in particular. And I can see having a different point of view. You know that's okay, but you know to get this wrong, he didn't do his homework as well as he should have. But to put it into this periodical uh, is just really is um, inexplicable and hard to figure out. So. I had that's more good, than that's the good news. Yeah, yeah I, I had more than a few people um, suggest to me that what he did was treasonous. Oh, it's certainly you could make an argument, and you know, if I I'm a lawyer, so if you give me eight hundred bucks an hour, I'll come out. It'll probably take me twenty hours to do it, but um, uh, it it's getting pretty close to the. Um, uh, to the line, uh, there aren't a whole lot of prosecutions for this, right. um, but it, it certainly is well beyond any uh, sort of line of decency, uh, uh, to my way of thinking. You know, well, it, and, and again, you... their, well, their objection is one: uh, the form that he used, 
and uh, and you read it. And I know Franz. Uh, I worked with him. Uh, we were instructors at the basic school together. And uh, and you know, if he has an intellectual point to make, um, he he being uh, Franz is not a stupid guy. He could have made his intellectual points without um, without all the vitriol and some of the statements that he that he made uh, in the article. And so um, uh, I, I did not looking at at its head. You know, its head scratching. Franz always been uh, a contrarian. You used the term earlier, and so like you, you know, so be it. But to write what he wrote in that periodical, the way he wrote it, right, is not an intellectual piece about concern, you know, or the outcome of Taiwan, in my opinion. And that's what people reacted to. And so I, 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 which is why I asked you about it, because um, uh, a lot of people uh, were offended by it. Um, And then uh, when and, and again, then the, the the second time I looked at it, and I didn't p- spend a lot of time with it because um, I, I honestly I dismissed it intellectually, uh, knowing and and part of the reason is that I know him personally and I don't take much of what he says seriously because I think he's just being contrarian. Now people can say, "Oh, Mac, you're bullshit." I don't care. I know him. I served with him, right? And I've listened to him in different forums and whatnot. Um, does it mean he's a stupid guy? No, it doesn't. But um, when you, you know, I don't know, again, why, but I think your your substantive discussion of of the things he said is 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 important. And it's important that people know that, because when when, you know, when people talk about Taiwan as a piece of China, then they just don't know history. And if that's the if that's the point of departure, you know, then don't even waste your time reading it. My thought. Any final thoughts about that piece? Um, well, just um, if any, you know, read it. If you know, if people, any listeners are interested, read it and then find something that I've written, uh, and you'll get actually the correct uh, way of looking at things. It is simply that bad. You know, it you know it just gets everything wrong and it misses a lot of things. Uh, and it's you know if you I don't know if I could come up with anything good to say about it uh, at all. It's just it's very poorly done. Uh, you know, it'd be like asking me to write something about Turkmenistan. Uh, you know, I probably could, but I don't think I should. Uh, and with this, it you say it's not very good, and there's be- much much better things to be found uh, than this. But also putting it into that per- that newspaper uh, is it's not just lapse in judgment it's just pure stupidity and as I say it is well beyond the bounds of decency uh, there's no justification for it what's the next thing you're going to write oh I'm going to write something about um, South Korean President Moon's visit to uh, Washington uh, I think the week after next to meet with President Biden so that's the, I have to think about Korean stuff for a bit. All right. Uh, can you tease us? What do you think we're going to see? Is uh, is President Moon going to, uh, who's a huge fan of the Marine Corps, um, uh, is he going to shock us? Is he going to, is anything exciting <laughs> going to happen? 
Which Marine Corps? The, the North Korean Marine no, Corps? No, ours, ours. Marine? Yeah, we got him out of uh, – his family lives, uh, I don't know, somewhere between the Chosen Reservoir and the coast. And uh, his family got out of uh, North Korea on well, U.S. Seems, Navy is this, shipping. Is this the same guy that uh, wrote yes. in his memoirs that yes. when um, he heard the Americans lost in Vietnam, he was euphoric? Yes. Uh, like the same guy. But, Sa- same, uh, no, same guy? Moon, moon, it, Moon is not a – he's not pro-American. Uh, he's basically a con artist uh, who's pro-North Korea, pro-China. And so what he's going to do is come to Washington and try to tell President Biden that Moon, re, Moon understands North Korea. He understands the dictator Kim. And so Biden ought to do what Moon tells him to do, follow, Biden, follow Moon's guidance. Um, and hopefully the Americans are smart enough to maybe give him a nice lunch and then send him on his way. But Moon is, uh, is no friend of the U.S. Uh, and he's come, but he's, you know, he likes to present himself as one, but he's not. And so he's going to come offering some really bad advice, and hopefully this administration uh, will, not, um, will not go for it. And Moon's, what he's going to say is, you know, relax sanctions on North Korea, negotiate uh, with them. And, and this time, you know, Kim is going to give up his nukes, swear to God. Um, you know, the <laughs> Korean leftists have been doing this for 20 years. And all it's gotten us is nuclear armed North Korea uh, with missiles that can reach Washington just about. Right, right. Uh, and that's the objective. You know, at some point, you know, bad advice is not just naive. It actually... Uh, suggest that somebody's up to no good, and you know, hopefully the Biden team has figured this out. So that's what's coming. And so I have to put this into 850 words. Got it. Got it. All right, Grant. Well, first of all, uh, a plethora of uh, subjects today, and uh, mm-hmm. I certainly appreciate all of it. Uh, thank you very much, and uh, I'm looking forward to us being in the same hemisphere soon. And uh, and we will do this again in a couple of weeks, if you don't mind. Okay, sounds good. Always enjoy it. There you have it. Thanks, Grant. Right on. Mm-hmm. And that'll do it. More of Walmart Radio coming up next right here on your home for it, the one and only All Warrior Radio Network.